If you will, just open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We are continuing our journey of Christian liberty. This is part number 6. I do believe that it is. And uh, as you get your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, ultimately we're going to look at, I uh, believe that God is going to speak to our hearts uh, as it pertains to this part of the journey from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30, starting in verse 30. And it's kind of strange because this passage of scripture is, is, a re, is related to marriage, but the thing about it is, is that we are on this journey and at part six we are venturing uh, into this place of the soul, come on somebody, our souls being married to Christ in there. And, and so God is gonna use uh, uh, the example that is set before in his word of natural marriage to show us and to, to give us a clear picture of the spiritual marriage that actually happens. So in quick review from last week, uh, we have went, hit, finally got to some of the main points uh, of virtue or the virtues of faith. And number one, uh, the first virtue of faith that we talked about is that we do not need the law or works for justification and salvation. That was good news, my friend. That, the, that faith, true faith, come on somebody, and faith is God is teaching us now uh, with the light. So if you didn't uh, hear, wasn't here, or, or, if, or if you've been uh, missed out on the, because it takes more than even just last week. So over the last few messages, you need to get it, let that, uh, hear it again, regurgitate that, because it all flows together in there. And, and, and we are talking about true faith in there. And this true faith, the first virtue of it that is so powerfully and, and was so powerfully explained to us in such a way that if our hearts receive it, that it sets us free and it gives us an understanding that we do not, that no one of us as believers in Christ Jesus and with the finished work that God has done for himself in Christ Jesus, that we have no need, somebody say no need, of the law or works for justification. See, not only does the Bible tell us that we cannot be justified by our works, but uh, God has given us a clear understanding that we don't, that you don't even have no need for it in there. Uh, so it tells us one thing, but then it, now it is showing us because, uh, and why is this important? It's important because the word says a lot of things, but then we have to wrestle with uh, our understanding, our how we were brought up, what the things that maybe we were taught or instilled in there, you know, so while the word is always said that, that, that you could not be justified by works, but the thing about it is, is how we were brought up, some of the stuff that was imparted to us and how we, uh, this is what God was showing us, that we can be contaminated by an impartation of our past, you know, in there, that though we knew by word that it says that we, that we have no need of the, of, uh, that works cannot justify us, but we find ourselves, as, as God uh, eloquently showed us, that we find ourselves actually performing works and somehow feeling within ourselves that it's justifying us. 
The first virtue of faith is that we do not need the law or works for justification and salvation. And then number two, then we did get to this, is that, and that from that place that we honor with the utmost respect and reputation him, meaning God, in whom we believe. See, once we found out that we do not need works or law, and that is not what uh, justifies us, then what, what it showed us was a picture of the miraculous and the wonderful, awesome mercy of God and his grace extended towards us that he would pay the price of using his son that will satisfy us and that we pay nothing, that this is a free gift you know, in there and how awesome that real, that un, when we come to that understanding, you know, again, see, and, and, uh, to come to this understanding, it takes a real separation from the fact of your works is not, don't count for no justification and it does not give salvation. You know, your good deeds is not, uh, your merit is not what, uh, don't play any part in that. And when we realize what the word has shown us, that when we realize how desperately lost that we were with no hope and, and, and with uh, the veneration that God sent forth his son to be that appropriation for our sins to pay a price that we could not pay when a, a, you know, another man has taken our place, glory be to God, in there. That with, in, in that it, only thing that it took, it did not take us earning it by works, but the only thing that it took is, is true faith, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that we believed in God's plan of salvation in there, and that our faith in that brings forth the washing uh, of the water. It brings forth the being born again. It brings forth our justification and salvation, my friend, in there. And so when we really and truly understand that separated from any works whatsoever, which is a hard thing to do, my friend, that when that actually happens, then it, it places us at virtue number two that is truly by faith and that faith there that God, when we did not deserve anything, just set before us a way to have everything. And he says, all I need you to do is believe that I've done this for you and how I've done it for you. The word that you said earlier, just believe. And in that belief, glory be to God that we have been totally set free, that all of our transgressions are gone, all of them. And the, what blows our mind is, is, is we can maybe uh, fathom all of our transgressions being gone in the sense of what we've done in the past. But boy, it, it, it gets a little difficult when we think about all of our transgressions with the same uh, mentality uh, of the past being gone, but for us to think of all of our transgressions that's present right now. I'm presently living, you know, in and in, in messing up. I'm, pres I'm, I'm pres uh, presently uh, falling or failing in there. 
and how is it that God, you know, I can see how he wiped away the ones I did and they, and they in the past, but how is he wiping the ones away that is present right now? You know, we have, a, 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 you know, it's hard to, to fathom that, but then guess what's even hard, harder to, to, to understand or fathom is that which is to come. That he, that all of my transgressions are gone. So even that which I may, that I'm going to do next uh, month that I'm not even privy to, but oh, he knows about it in there. How is it that uh, all that, that that part is gone? See, but when we by the spirit can re just receive, somebody say receive, it's been said all morning, that we can just receive this free gift that we can just receive by the spirit of understanding that, will, that is a mystery that is blowing our minds. Glory be to God. But the only way to receive this is to believe it. It's not a, a receiving that you, can, that, that you can have outside of belief. Glory be to God. In there. So this, this receiving simply uh, uh, is uh, manifested through a belief in one's heart. Glory be to God. And so therefore we have the second virtue of faith is, is that when we believe that he is truth that, and righteousness, that when he, we're talking about God Almighty, is truly truth and righteousness, then what will well up in the inside of each and every one of us is an utmost adoration for that truth and that righteousness would manifest itself in full honor of, the, of God. So this then, our reputation or what the reputation that we see or, or give or, or put on God is God's reputation, in other words, with us, is truth and righteousness. Truth and righteousness being the highest reputation that one could have. What, rep, what higher reputation can we attribute to anyone than truth and righteousness. See, when the soul at, uh, attributes such, it prepares itself to, to do the whole will of God. We see, see, when the soul, the inner man, because remember what we're talking about on this journey. This goes all the way back to number one now, that, uh, that in Christian liberty that w God showed us that, it, that, there's a, that we man is made up of two parts, the outer man and the inner man. And we are still on the inner man and, and what uh, you know, spiritually is at work and, and how all of this stuff uh, is, un is coming about. And so here we are at part six and he's telling us and giving us an understanding now of the virtues of faith. Again, the first one is knowing and understanding that we have no need. Somebody say no need again. Of the law or works for justification and salvation. And number two, that we honor with the utmost respect and, and reputation him, God, the God in whom we believe. And when the soul, our soul attributes such it prepares itself to do the whole will of God. And that's where we are. We ought to have a heart ready and prepared to do the whole will of God if we have right understanding, my friends. And today, then, we want to visit number three, the third virtue 
of faith. The third virtue of faith is that it unites its soul to Christ. It unites its soul to Christ. The third virtue of faith, it, it, it's our soul now becomes united to Christ. As a wife is to the husband, by which mystery, as the apostles, the apostles teach, Christ and the soul are made one flesh. Now, if they are, are one flesh, and if true marriage is accomplished between them, then it follows that all that have, uh, all that have become, all that they have become in common is what I'm saying. So if true marriage has happened between the soul and, and Christ itself, as the word of God describes it, then it, it, is, it, it got to be our understanding that what follows from that is that all that both have, it becomes in common. Whether it's good or, or bad. We know that the good, the, 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 the part that Christ has to bring to the table in this marriage ain't nothing bad about that. So the bad only could come from what source? Come on, somebody. So whatever, so, so whatsoever Christ possesses, that the believer's soul may take it to itself. Hear me. Everybody with me? Because this is real important. This is what is what we have to understand that has happened in our life and, and with our faith is that our souls become married to Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 5 now. And we're going to move forward real quickly here. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30, it says this. For we are members of his body, that's referring to Christ and his flesh, and his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning, who is he speaking concerning? Concerning Christ and the church, that that is the same thing that happens, that the Christ and the church become one flesh. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And, and when we make this and see the real picture just as well as it is, we can understand in the natural part of a, a man and a woman, now we are talking about the church that's you and me in Christ and how the two has become one. So understand this, that whatsoever Christ possesses, hear this, that whatsoever Christ possesses, that whatsoever Christ possesses, that the believer's 
soul, the believing soul, that's you and me, may take it to ourselves as our own. And whatever belongs to the soul, that Christ claims it as he is. See, this is the part that we've been missing, my friends. That all that is Christ's, because now as a child of God and what faith has done, the third virtue of faith, lets us know that the soul is now united to Christ in marriage and the two become one. And here is the thing, and I want you to think about this. Because the thing that we've understood is, or have said and maybe had any glimpse of is that we know that we belong to Christ. And we sing the song and many of us have said that. You know, we, 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 we kind of get that. That now I belong to Christ. Am I right about it? And in belonging to Christ, then we kind of get the sense that what uh, all that is mine I'm, I'm, that's what I'm working on every day to yield it, to, to, to let it, to, that he can have it all. We're trying to turn it over to him. So we get that concept. But the part that we totally missed in here is that all that belongs to Christ, the believing soul now because of the union of marriage that God has orchestrated, not man, glory be to God that all of it belongs to you. And some of us that have uh, seemed to get it, we, we, uh, we've taken it way out of context, but God is going to set some context to it. So the few people that did know that now that I'm, my soul is married to, 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 to Christ and that we become one, you know, and, and, and they understood that uh, the, the natural marriage that God set forth between a man, it was only a picture of, of what, what was to come. And that was Christ giving his life and that he became the head of the church and that the church would be his bride. Come on, somebody. That the two would be married and the two now would become one. And so the few that understood this is probably some of the ones that go into, uh, that, 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 that has this thought process even in their mind from a natural standpoint that when I, that they, they looking to get married for a particular reason because of, they know that what he has now belongs to me. And we have to be very careful. See, in many of us, I'm talking about true believers, that's the part that we've, we've just left on the table because here again, like I was saying, that we understood that now I belong to Christ. But we haven't fully understood that Christ and all that's his, all that he possessed belongs to me, my friend. But it ain't with the, the harlot mentality. Come on, somebody. It's one from a pure heart and a right understanding and that's what he wants to speak to us. If we compare these possessions, we're talking about the possessions of, that, that both parties is bringing to the table. We see how awesome the gain is. Christ is full of grace, life, and salvation. The soul is full of sin, death, and condemnation. Think about that. We're going to just, we got to walk through this very slowly. Because see, the two becoming one, the two the, in this marriage... With Christ 
and who he is and what he's bringing to the table, again, is grace. It's life. It's salvation. But the soul that he's being married to and being is coming into unity with is full of nothing but sin, death, and condemnation. But let faith step in. Come on, somebody say faith. See, this is where the difference is. But let faith step in. And as faith steps in, then sin, death, and hell will belong to Christ. See, because faith is what? Is what? It's the third uh, virtue that gives us, it's the conduit that puts us in marriage with Christ. We've talked about what it does. We talked about the first one, that faith, uh, true faith, gives us an understanding that we have no need of works no more. Uh, true faith understands that now that we honor that one that we, uh, that we believe in. And the third virtue is that faith puts us in a marriage with Christ. So when faith steps in to this picture of where we are now, guess what happens? Then sin, that which you brought to the table, Death, hell, it belongs to Christ now. And him taking you as his bride, he gladly takes what you brought to the table and he makes it his. And also, on the other hand, salvation. You know, what Christ has brought to the table is what? He brings grace, life, and salvation to the soul. So for if he is a husband, he must take to himself that which is the wife's and, as, and at the same time impart to his wife, her, that which is his. So just as he has taken our sin and our death and our condemnation to himself, at the same time he has imparted to us grace, life, come on somebody, hallelujah, and redemption. This is huge. This, because this is the reality of what is done in the spirit in our, uh, that is at work when we believe. That Christ is, is, see the ceremony. I hope you can see it right before you. You are standing at the altar and you bring in your mess, which is sin, death, and, uh, and condemnation. This is what you have to offer in the marriage. And the two is finna become one. And Christ is standing at the altar and what he has to offer and what he's brought to the table as the husband is grace, life, and salvation. And when he exchanges the vows, he takes his grace, life, and salvation. First of all, what he does is he takes that which is his wife, and he takes full ownership and possessions of it, because you are mine now, and I'm going to take care of it. This is what makes him the head of the church. Come on, somebody, because he, he gave it all up. He surrendered it all. He did all that it takes to be the, the head. And when he took that which belonged to her, out of her hands, he placed in her hands grace and life and salvation. It says, this is yours now. That other stuff no longer belongs to you. I'm going to deal with that. It's mine now. I'm your husband. I got this. 
Hallelujah. Ain't that good news? So again, sir, if he is a husband, he must take him, uh, to himself that which is his wife and at the same time impart to her that which is his. For in giving her his own body and himself, how can he but give her all that is his? And in taking uh, to himself the body of his wife, how can he uh, but take to himself all that is hers? And this is a display in a delightful sight, not only in communion, but as a prosperous warfare of victory, salvation, and redemption. For since Christ is God, is God and man, and is such a person as neither has sinned, nor dies, nor have is been condemned. Also, so in other words, saying cannot sin, cannot die, cannot be condemned. And since his righteousness, life, and salvation are invincible, they are eternal and almighty. When I say such a person, by the wedding ring of faith, see, that's the wedding ring, faith, takes a share of the, uh, in the sin and death and hell of his wife, meaning uh, makes uh, them his own, and deals with them no otherwise than as if they was his and his alone, and as if he himself has sinned. And when he suffered death, when he suffered, died, and, and descended to hell, you remember that, that he may overcome all things, and such sin, death, and hell cannot swallow him up. They must need be swallowed up by him. Hallelujah. <laughs> For his righteousness raised, uh, rises above sin and his righteousness rises above sin not just for one but for all men. Come on somebody. His life is more powerful than all death. His salvation is more inconquerable than all that hell has to offer my friends. See, this is the good news that we're talking about, that, uh, that thus the believing soul, that's you and me, by pledging our faith in Christ, becomes free from all sin, fearless of death, safe from hell. Come on, somebody. See, this is the good news, my friend. We become endowed with eternal righteousness, life, and salvation. This is huge that we got to understand that what he has done, he has taken what is ours, that was sin, uh, death, and, con and, and condemnation, hell itself. And he took it upon himself. And see, and this now you can see why God worked the works that he worked in him, that he sent him as a man, that he died on the cross, that he went down and preached into hell, and that he rose him again there and said, oh death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? You have no victory over the risen Christ. Glory be to God. So that which he has taken on for us, he has, has been swallowed up by him. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. And that which he has imparted to us is eternal, it's almighty, and it's everlasting, my friend. 
This is some good news, my friends. You got to know who you married to today, my friend. Hallelujah. Because it's life changing. And you got to know that he is the husband and that we are the bride. Glory be to God. And that just simply means that he has taken the responsibility to handle it all. Glory be to God. I got this. I got this. I'll take in even your lows, your indiscretions, your, your weaknesses, your, your, all of that. And I will handle it. It's what Christ has done. Glory be to God. This is awesome news, my friend. And we have to understand that what it says here in Ephesians, that for we are members of his body and his flesh and bones, that we understand truly what the writer was, was getting at. Because what he concludes is this. Is that this is what we understand as a great mystery, my friends, the union between Christ and the church. Hallelujah. That this illustration goes beyond mere analogy. It is a statement of reality, my friends. Just as a man and, a, and, and, and wife become a new reality, one flesh, so the members of the church become part of a new reality. Christ is body, my friends. And we have not known that. Because those of us that, that thought we knew that and, 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 and had any glimpse of that, if we, had, if we were taking it to, to use it in a selfish manner, we don't know what it is, my friend. Because this only can be received and believed on and honored. It only can be honored. There ain't no uh, usury in this action, my friend. See, because what one would understand is the, 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 the end all of this marriage end, that, that which you've been given is eternal and it's almighty. It's God. And it's an awesome thing. So again, understand this, that as he presents himself so in doing so, this is the good news, see, because when we get as the believing soul, when it understands that the pledge of faith in Christ becomes what it does, that it makes us free from sin and, and, it, and it takes away fear of death. Do you understand that? And then it, get, and it puts us in a safe place where we ain't fearing or, even, uh, 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 or worry about hell itself. And then it endows us, so it frees us from all of the worry and the stress, and then it endows us and gives us eternal righteousness. Do you know what eternal righteousness is? That means you are forever right with God. Forever right with God. And that ain't something that none of us could have accomplished. And the simple thing about it is, is that no, if we were good from head to toe, that would not be good enough to get what we got by faith. What has been given by faith. <coughs> because that, what we've been given, was accomplished and done by another. 
namely Christ Jesus. He did for us. We cannot take it lightly that which we were not able to do for ourselves. So with that understanding, he presents to himself a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, that is by faith in the word of life. See, now when we go back to Ephesians and you read a little bit earlier, going back to verse 27, I mean, verse uh, 25 even, it says, husband loved your wife just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blame. Come on, somebody. See, this is what the husband does for the wife. This is what Christ has done for the church. And how did he do it? He did it by the word of God. And when we receive the word of God by faith, come on somebody, in there, then uh, that faith in God's word, it takes us and transforms us into Christ Jesus where all of, where the washing is, is taking place where the cleansing is taking place because he has finished the work not for you, but for him, glory be to God, for God himself. So it's like we, in this, by faith, we get to enter the wash machine that cleanses us and brings us out spotless. Hallelujah. And this wash machine, when, it, when you come out of it, you don't even have a wrinkle, my friend. Hallelujah. And he's doing it, you'll notice that he, how, why is he cleaning it up? He's doing it for himself. This is awesome news, my friends. It's a beautiful thing. By faith in the word of life, righteousness and salvation, thus he betrothes, somebody say betrothes, her unto himself in faithfulness in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness. Who then can value high enough this, these royal nuptials? Who then can value high enough these royal nuptials? These, this is really valuable, my friend. Who can comprehend the riches of the glory of his grace? Somebody ain't heard that before. See, this is what we're talking about. Who can comprehend the riches of his glory? The glory of his grace. Christ, that rich and, pi and pious husband, takes a wife, a needy and impious harlot, he does, redeeming her from all of her evil and supplying her with all of his good things. It is impossible now that her sin should destroy her since they have been laid upon Christ and swallowed up in him. And since she has in her husband Christ a righteousness which she may claim as her own and which she can 
set up with confidence now against all of her sin. See, now she can set this up. Her righteousness, because of him, she can set it up against all of her sin, against death, against hell, saying, if I sin, my Christ in whom I believe has not sinned. All mine is his, and all his is mine. As it is written, my beloved, in Psalms chapter 2, because that, I mean, uh, not Psalms, but uh, the Songs of Solomon in chapter 2, verse 16, it says just that. All that is his is mine, and all that are mine is his. See, this was a beautiful song of Solomon, a poetry that we ain't even understood. And it was a reflection of marriage. That when the, when the, when the, when the marriage, it took place between Christ and the church, that all that the church had to bring forth and had to offer was sin death and condemnation but that all that was of the church became his and all that of his became mine became mine became mine and see there's a a, a, a little dilemma here for the one that that has a pure heart because again, what I was saying, I'm talking about one that has the pure heart with right motivation. That even with this faith and as we understand this, we have to be very careful. Because we can understand in this analogy of marriage, we can see it truly, that all of my sin, death, and condemnation, we can see how he has taken that. But we also have to be able to see that all of his life, mercy, grace, and, and, and all of the virtues of Christ that now it belongs to us and you have rightful possession of it. See, and this ain't talking about money, cars, and things because that is not his focus because when Christ was here, he didn't dwell in money, cars, and things. But he dealt in truth and righteousness, my friends, while he was here on the earth and that all belongs to you. And in that belonging to you, then, uh, then we don't have to worry about the rest the natural life, because he's already made provision and promises for that. So our full concentration can be in the, uh, we can be in the marriage with the right motivation and the right heart. We don't have to be looking to cheat on our husband by playing tiddlywinks with the world. So how can we take that which is our husband's and then and, and, and go after some foreign god of the world? And this is what the church have done. We wanted to take the full possession of what has rightly and freely been given to us. Because see, as this husband, you know, unlike some in the natural, that which he has, he ain't coming with no prenuptial agreement. He's not coming with no reservation as to, you know, what he got and what you got and, and yours don't add up. And, and I'm so, yeah, I'm, I want to marry you, but, uh, you know, I'm going I'm to hold this back. No, he's given it all to us freely to receive at the wedding feast, the day of the marriage. And while we 
can hear this. I, there is a warning for those of us that, that with a pure heart. Because see, sometimes a wife will come and because of what she knows, what she's bringing to the table, which is sin, death, and condemnation, and she knows what her husband has, and yet even when he says, baby, give me all of this, I'm going to take care of that. And here, I'm going to give you all of this, what's mine, and we're going to share all of this in common. That's, that, that because of what she brought to the table, sometimes there's an inferiority complex to receive that which her husband has made available to her. And though yet we know it, we play, we, we scared to, 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 to use it. I'm talking about those with a pure heart because those with the, the harlot heart, they're going to come and try to use and abuse everything anyway. But those with a pure heart, God said, and, and he needs us to understand this very loud and very clearly, that truly what Christ has made available to, to you and to us is for our use. And the reason why it's for our use is because God has a plan. He's working, he has a work for the church. And that which he's put on the table, we have to use it. But not for your, your as a harlot, to turn around and, and serve it uh, to the, another man or to the world. But to use it for the glory of the kingdom, for the man of the house, glory be to God. And for the household itself, with no ill motivations in your heart, no my agendas. So when Paul says, thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, victory over sin and death, and he says, the death of uh, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. He says that in 1 Corinthians. Then now we understand where, where it's coming from. From all of these things, we can now begin to understand why so, it's so important to attribute faith so that it alone can fulfill the law and justify without any works. See, now we can see why we can, we can come to the conclusion and the understanding why faith and faith alone is what we have to attribute unto God, meaning that we believe God, that he is true and all righteous, and that, that, that therefore it brings forth a universal uh, obedience. It calls for our honor that brings us to a universe that we're willing to obey God to the fullest. See, that's what draws, that's what, what James was talking about, that you show me your, your, your works and I'll show you my works by my faith. So works, you show me your works without faith and I'll show you my works by my faith. Come on, somebody. So this faith has no need of works. But what we're going to find out is that this faith produces beautiful works. 
that it ultimately manifests itself. Now it begins to move from the outside, out, uh, the inward man to the outward man. And, the, and when it touches the outward man, then it brings forth works. But it ain't, the, the works that it brings forth is motivated from the inward man that has already been changed, that has already been married, that has already been set in truth and righteousness, never to be removed. And because it understands that, it then begins to manifest itself in such a way that is awesome and that is mighty. Hallelujah. And this is as, uh, as simple as this message is. No, this ain't one that, 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 that will tickle your fancy to the point of bubbling up in your flesh. But boy, if you, if you allow the Spirit to speak to you, it will overwhelm your heart because we serve a God that loved us with an everlasting love so much that not only did he die for us but then uh, and, and remove every transgression, but he gave us life, truth, and righteousness. Something that we never deserved and something that we never, somebody say never, could have achieved. He gave it to us. And now it belongs to you. And the message today is God is saying that as the, the bride, receive what is yours and own it for what it is. And it's hard. Why is it hard? Because even as a bride, that what we didn't work for, it's hard for us to take ownership in it. What we didn't contribute even in the least bit is hard for us <coughs> to take ownership of. And you notice I said what is hard for a bride. I didn't say what's hard for a woman because this ain't about a woman. This is about the church. We are the bride of Christ. So what is hard for a bride is that which has not, that I ain't played no parts in getting, not even I ain't added a, Donnie, I didn't even give you your lunch when you went out and earned this. I ain't, I ain't the one that even fixed your lunch. I didn't wash your, the, the pants that you wear, so I don't have no connection. I did nothing. And that, because I did nothing, is hard to receive it all. And that's an inferior, somebody say inferior, complex. See, that's one that Satan is wanting, the, the trick that he wants to play because he needs you to stay in a heart and a mindset of inferiority. Because if you stay there, then you will never know what you got. And, when, and because you never know what you got, then you'll never use what you got. Because he knows that if you ever find out what you got and begin to use what you have, that boy, he is done. Somebody say he's done. That's what he knows. He knows that he'll be done. Because it produces honor that will, that is willing to do the will of God. That, and have an understanding that God knows what's best and he will do it in my best interest, the best way that it needs to be done. Hallelujah. Let us look to the Lord.